Hello there and you're very welcome back to another edition of The Final Whistle with myself, Johnny O'Connell. On today's episode, I'm joined by none other than Tipperary footballer Brian Fox to look back on Tipperary's GAA football season. Tipperary winning also the Munster title for the first time in 85 years and setting up an All-Ireland semi-final meeting with Mayo. But their journey ended on that day and also we'll be looking a bit of the preview of the final this weekend between Mayo and Dublin, and can Mayo finally bridge that gap, or will Dublin go on yet again to prove why they're one of the kingpins of the GAA's most top elite footballing counties of the last number of years? Firstly, Brian, I'd like to thank you very much for joining me on the final whistle. Uh, firstly, Brian, uh, how has the season been from a Tipperary, Tipperary from from a Tipperary perspective, obviously we had the lockdown there from the early match onwards and there was kind of, you know, that bit of a lull there of wondering whether Gaelic games have would were going to even return or even be played at all. Yeah, I suppose a really long season is the first thing I'd say, yeah. Um, like we went back training last November, uh, or sorry, November 12 months. And like you're training away, you're, we're in the middle of the league. Next thing lockdown happens, we didn't stop training straight away. Let's say we, we, we started getting some individual stuff and we were doing gym work by ourselves and running on our own. And we kept that going, I'd say, for maybe two months, maybe three months. Say, yeah, it was definitely, I'd say, we were maybe into June by the time that finished up and we just kind of said, right, we don't know where we stand. The club, the club seems to be going first. So we said, geez, we'll take, take a break here for a little while. And then all of a sudden, we're to- told halfway through the club season, oh yeah, Intercounty's going to definitely go ahead. And sure, you know, we kick back into gear in terms of gyms program, even while the club's, club was going on and stuff like that. So, you know, really long season, but I suppose in terms of <laughs> a season that we'll remember, just we'll remember for the rest of our lives the way it finished, like, you know. Absolutely. It's been probably one of the most craziest GA seasons ever. How were you able to keep yourself balanced in terms of keeping yourself fitness? Were you doing a bit of ball work during that time? Obviously, before the club games, before the, the GA had come out with the announcement, this is what's going to happen. We're going to run the club championship first. We're going to play the club championship to this certain date. And then the inter-county season will return. So obviously, we had that bit of a lull for about four or five months. So what were you trying? So what were you doing during those four months to keep yourself active? So the first thing really we did was we kind of we met our strength conditioning coach through a Zoom call and just he kind of outlined what the plan was and so we kind of started off just doing maybe what two gym sessions a week let's say at home with whatever weights you had at home and he gave the program to work towards there and then we kind of were doing this bit of running and that was fine and fed is kind of starting to get a bit tired of it like you know because when there's no competition and you're just doing it for yourself it's really hard to do because there's no real motivation to do it but we kind of introduced a bit of competition amongst ourselves you know come up with some teams and just like let lads compete against each other and have a bit of crack you know um, so that was kind of good to kind of just get you doing it but having a, a goal at the end of it like you know you, you knew you were working with lads on your own team like to try and beat another team in your group uh, in terms of skills wise I'm kind of I'm, I'm a kind of a funny fish like I, I could never just sit around the house and do nothing I'd rather be out kicking ball or hooking ball against the wall like that's just the way I am so from that point of view you can always work on your skills just kicking left and right, hand passing and so on. It just it just kind of fresh, keeps me and I kind of fresh and just kind of active. I, I, I can't sit down for too long, like. Yeah, obviously, and obviously before 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 the lockdown kept in, you you actually go, you were actually going very well in in the league. You were very competitive, and I said that must have been kind of, you know a real damper that kind of you know ended you know a bit early. 
it was a funny league for us. I mean, uh, we started off really well. We drew it down in Clamel, um, even though we played most of the game of 14 men. Uh, we bet uh, loud then up in loud. And then we lost to Derry. Well, we got played well in Derry, in fairness now, and Derry just had a better of us. Gave a right good performance against Cork, lost by a point to Cork, and Cork were flying it at the time. I remember, geez, they had won, i said our first three matches comfortably, like, you know, and we were after losing to Derry up in Derry, and we, we i say we lost by a point. It was, what, 21 points to 3, 13 or something like that. We scored an unbelievable amount of points, and we lost. And they thing we played Longford, and we were confidence was high, and Longford gave us an awful lesson in football. So it was kind of a really crazy league, and then all of a sudden it was finished up and we were supposed to be playing the last two games knowing that we were looking more at relegation in Linton and it was hanging over us I suppose for the whole summer that you realise if this thing is going to go back we're not going to be competing for you know get promotion we're going to competing to stay up in Division 3 Absolutely and then obviously after the season after the club season had finished then there was that draw announcement in terms of the Munster Football Championship I say probably when you're looking at I say you were probably you were on the right side of the draw because obviously no one would be facing your cock, cock or Kerry until a, a, a provincial monster final. So that kind of gave the other counties, you know, a chance that there is a chance of getting to a, a monster final here. While on the other side of the draw, Cork and Kerry would have to battle, battle it out between themselves to see who would get to the monster final. Obviously, you had a great opening round one quarterfinal win over Clare, 2-11 to 1-11. Uh, Evan Comerford saved a great penalty in that match. Uh, so uh, I say you must have been really pleased to get over the line in the, in the Clare match because that was, you know, a kind of a very tough game. Yeah, well, I'll be honest now, it, it was, like we, like you said there a minute ago about ourselves, Clare, Limerick and Walter were on one side of the draw. I suppose... You, you had like you were playing your last two league matches with a kind of an eye on the on the monster championship coming up and like it was three weeks in the bounce that we played and we obviously had to win our two games whereas Clare played for Mana if you remember for Mana had only eighteen players turn up and we were kind of saying geez Clare are gonna be fresh for us, they're gonna be ready for us, you know. And we actually played really, really well against Clare, like and Clare are division two team and they bet us last year and actually relegated us last year, so in that situation, like we were saying, geez, we, we really need to go for this. And like, we've had huge battles against Clare the last few years. So I think we probably were better than, and I'm trying to, you know, be cocky here, was just say, we were probably better than our value than our three-point win. We I thought we played really, really well. Uh, like the goal they actually got was an own goal from Jimmy Feehan. Uh, Evan made a great save. Again, I'd say a few lads might argue, but the penalty wasn't a penalty, but... As Gary Brennan said to me, he goes, he never got a penalty off his life in his life off the referee before, so he couldn't get over how he got the penalty. Um, but yeah, we played really, really well in that game. I think everyone was just totally tuned in to what we needed to do, like into the performance. And from that perspective, we were really happy with ourselves. Now, um, and that's just the way sometimes games go. Like if you, if you implement your plan really well, fellas are totally tuned into it, and next thing of a sudden things start flowing a bit easier. Absolutely, and then obviously the the next outing Eve was a monster semi final against Limerick down in the Gaelic grounds. It it bonus to say it was a game of two halves. You were gone in two six to five points down at halftime. Beforehand, about two or three minutes around it, up to the thirty third minute, it was about it was about four points in it. So this conception, the conception of that second limit goal must have really probably knocked the stuff in or out of you 
obviously going into going into halftime because I say we're probably looking at it from a temporary perspective that it would be better going off going in four points down than going in seven points down. So what was the the, the message from David Power in the dressing room at halftime because he came out as a total different team in that second half? Yeah, um, sure. I I spent the whole first half watching from the sideline. I was um, I was so started as sub and it was very frustrating I suppose watching from the sideline because everything we had done against Clare we did none of that against Limerick and Limerick had, a, had obviously looked at us against Clare and said right we were picking on this this what they perceived as one of our weaknesses and it was working to a degree and we just had very little energy about ourselves we seemed to be very slow and attacked to bring the ball forward and they were getting a lot of men behind the ball I remember a lot of times now they only had one man up front and they had maybe 13 men back behind the ball and next all of a sudden we get a, a poor turnover and they were just punishing us. Now, in fairness, I will say this, that their two goals that they took were really good goals. Like, when we were back on the video, like, I think it was a Corbett split was open with an unbelievable kick pass to a man, you know, making, it was an agony kick pass into a fella on the run. He didn't have to break stride, took it and buried it, like, you know. And it was these small things that we were getting caught with, which we shouldn't be getting caught with, but at half time. Like I mean, myself and Liam Bowling came on at half time, and we just said, like, the t- intensity has to come up. The fellas just have to start digging in, like, because we're going to get knocked out of the championship here, and it's going to be the second year in a row we get bet by Limerick. Like, you know, I mean, if you had any pride about yourself, the fact that we got bet last year in Turles and we got such a hammer off Limerick last year, you'd be saying you're going out to beat them, like, this year and, and make up make up for all the wrongs you did. But, like, you know, so at half time, that, those kind of things were said, like, I suppose, you know. Absolutely, and I think probably the key moment in that game was it was towards the end of the second half. Was it in the seventy third minute and forty fifth seconds? Was it over from the the near side and under covered stand? Because you were scoring in down by the clearing terrace. Connor Sweeney had a had a, a had a free from right from that near sideline, and that was a chance, you know, to level the game, bring it to extra time, and he, and that was some score. What was going through your mind at that stage when you were out in the field and you were watching Connor take that point? If it goes over, it goes to extra time. If it goes out, Tipperary are out of the Monster Championship or out of the Championship because it was complete straight knockout, and Limerick are going through to a Monster final. Yeah, well, I'm laughing now when you're saying it like that. What was going through my mind was to try and get on the ball because <laughs> I didn't think Sweeney was going to kick it. <laughs> I was. It would it wouldn't be where like in fairness like and he's he's an unbelievable free taker but he never practices freeze from out there like you know and we kind of had they had everyone back they had everyone behind the ball and Mikey was going down and Mikey probably would have taken a free because it was a better side for him to take it from but he was down injured and I was like saying if we go short they had everyone back so deep that you could work it around the pitch because we had kind of had maybe five or six lads lighter on the forty five and you if you ran at them with two or three lads you know you might get a shot off but. Look, he took it on. I suppose he didn't see any other better option. I remember one or two of us were kind of showing for him. And then when he realised he was going for it, we were just kind of praying, I'd say. Absolutely. And before we talk about extra time and obviously the way the GA season has been going, is it, was it very different uh, to you playing in a, an empty stadium compared to no friends? Was it different or would you say it would be much easier? Because the one thing I've been able to pick up from it, uh, from it, from watching it, from watching all the games on TV is that you are able to hear the communication be- between the players and, of, and it might be sometimes difficult to hear the communication with players when obviously you've over in 20, 30, 40,000 friends uh, on the edge of their seats. Yeah, um, depends I suppose on the game. Like I, I know some matches like 
league matches we wouldn't have a great crowd at them and you can hear everything any of the players are saying to you I know but um, I think playing without supporters is strange in terms of that extra pressure that sometimes happens from having spectators doesn't really exist and some players can go out and express themselves a small bit more without the fear of being being you know booed or of you know a gas going oh jeez what are you there you know I think that does come into it a small bit Um, now do I prefer playing with a crowd? Yeah, of course. I think every fella who plays intercounty will say the same. Do you know what they they live for that for that adrenaline that comes from playing in front of a crowd. Um but definitely the communication is so clear, like and I suppose to me more so than anything, that's that was very obvious from when we played Cork in the most final, just you every lad was roaring and shouting and constantly constantly communicating and fairly our best performance from that regard. Like, you know, that everyone was so tuned in to every aspect of their job that they had to do. Absolutely, and I say that was the, probably the best thing in terms of you know communication between between the team. How important for you is is you also on the field of play is communication between the team and its and its own players? Because obviously I've seen it before from club games where there's little communication between players, and you could have two players going up for a ball, and it could end up being spilling, and another team breaking away with possession and end up getting the score. So how important f- for you, not only as a player playing with your club and playing with your county, is communication? Look, I'm I'm fairly vocal uh, in general. Like a lot of lads will tell you now, anyone local will tell you they hear me at matches more so than anyone else because I, I never stop shouting. So obviously, I think communication is important. I think there is a difference between club and intercounty in that regard, where intercounty a lot more lads will be vocal, uh, but it will be instructive more so than anything. Do you know because everyone in fairness at intercounty level. 90% of the time they know their jobs inside out, you know, and the level of preparation and stuff is meticulous. So fellas have to know their jobs and know their role in the team and know who they're tracking and if they're man-marking and what's another lad's role because you sometimes might need to dig out another fellow beside you. Whereas with club, that same level of detail isn't there. And, you know, I suppose if you're playing club, obviously the standard is, is lower. So you can't expect everyone to know exactly their role or to do everything to the same standard as what would happen in intercounty. So the communication definitely is a lot more direction. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, G and lads up, we're getting a command, or right, you bet you for that one, let's go again, let's get, let's, let's, let's get the next ball. Like. Absolutely. And I say that's the main important thing is the communication. Now, obviously going into extra time, it was very end to end. It was hard to d- decide where the game was going. I think, was it up to the, about the last minute in the second of extra time? It was... Was it 2-11 or was it something 114? It was a draw game and then none other than yourself stepped up and put up, put the winning point over the bat to obviously guarantee Tipperary spot into the Monster Final. So I say that must have been a great honour for you for you, yourself to obviously get the opportunity to, to play in another Monster Final, but obviously to score the winning point. Yeah, um, look, I was delighted to score it. Um, I wasn't probably looking to shoot it when it first happened. I was I was looking for someone to pass it to, like, but when it, the kind of space opened up, you got to back yourself. You know that's why you do that training. That's why you take thousands of shots from different angles to, to be ready for that moment. And like any lad will tell you, we've all dreamed of kicking a winning score in a game like that of a really important match. And like so, when you do it, you're just like, Jesus, this is brilliant. You know, um, and like I suppose the fact that he got us into a monster final was even just a bonus, like, and just the fact that we come back from being, what, like you said, seven points down, and I and I had only come on at half time, like, you know, to me, it meant a lot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was more about the reward, the fact that we were after qualifying for the final, like, you know, and 
I remember the boys congratulating, congratulating me saying that was whatever, that was some bosses kick it. But I was saying like, sure, without Sweeney scoring normal time, there wouldn't have been an extra time to do it. Like, you know, so Sweeney had the biggest ball of all to do it, like in fairness to him. Absolutely. And then obviously the monster final against Cork, uh, was that, you know, obviously a bit of a surprise to you that it was going to be Cork because everyone was going to be saying that tip, it, it was going to be Kerry in the monster final. Everyone, Kerry were the bookies' favourites to win the monster. They were the team to challenge the dubs, the team the most likely to end Dublin's quest for six in a row. And then in in the, in the monster semi-final, this Cork team out of nowhere in the last minute of extra time pull off a winning goal to not to dump Kerry out of a monster a monster final and end Kerry's consecutive streaks for monster titles going to, like they were going for eight monster titles in a row they contested every monster final since 2012 and and this was going to be a monster final between Cork and Tipperary who are no strangers to each other because obviously it's their players on both teams that have obviously played at under 20 level as well so they, so you're no strangers to each other on and off the field yeah, well, it's funny, like, I watched the Kerry Cork match now, and look, to say it was, it wasn't an easy game to watch, I suppose, because of conditions, because of the way both teams set up. Um, I, I see, I always think Cork have, always have, Cork have this thing about them that they don't fear Kerry, and I just, and they'd given Kerry loads of it last year in the most championship, in the, in the most final down in Park Cleave again. So I was kind of confident enough that Cork would give them a good game. And when I saw the conditions, and I saw the way Cork were playing, I said, well, they're definitely going to stay in the game. Now, I personally thought Cork could have won by more because Kerry seemed to be making a lot of the mistakes. Cork, when they were maybe a pint, two points up and Kerry had a man in the sin bin, Cork could have killed that game in normal time and they didn't and they let Kerry back into it. So, if Anton, I thought Kerry were very, very lucky to even get it to extra time. And then when they got to extra time, Kerry looked like they were going to win it, in fairness. You know, but Cork were playing this over and back. They, they held the ball for two minutes to get the the game level in normal time I know and then in extra time like to, to go a chance like they, they was just sort of wondering like who was going to take the actual chance to pull the trigger like you know they just seemed to pass it to death and like look like they got it but it was deserved because they, they had kept themselves in the game that's the thing about playing against Kerry you have to keep yourself in the game you can't just say we'll go toe-to-toe with Kerry and blow them out of the water that doesn't happen and it hasn't happened in Munster or in a lot of cases ever so, like, in fairness to Cork, they did everything they could and they, they played the game the way they wanted to play it and they played it really on the edge and it worked for them. So, like, I was, like, obviously, our mentality then was, right, we're playing Cork who we really, really know well. Like, you know, as in, I've played Cork, I'd say, in the last five years around six times between league and championship. Like, you know, so we know them really, really well. Uh, their players haven't changed that much. Okay, they have a few younger lads, like, say, the five starters, I think they were all under 22 or something for the backs this year in the final but I, we played against most of them in the league uh, championship in 2018 uh, 16 sorry 18, 17, 16 15 I think it was or was well, it 14 you know so that was four or five games in a row and like I said the National League as well like you know and there was never bare one game I'd say there was never more than three points in it Absolutely and was there anything when you were going into this month's final in training with David was there anything you looked in in particular? Was there anything key area that you focused on? Was it defending? Was it attack? Was it intact? Because obviously going back early on in the league match against Cork, he had conceded three goals against them and they do have a good 
full forward line as well and they're capable of scoring goals on any given day. So was that a kind of a key aspect you kind of worked on as well at training? Yeah, I suppose the two main things we looked at were um, number one, not conceding goals because, like you said, we conceded three goals in the league. Uh, the previous 2018, they, kill, they kicked two goals against us, I think, as well. Do you know, and they were they were hammer blows. And even, I think, 2019 in the National League, Rory Dean scored a cracker of a goal and that was the winner of that, that league match as well like against them, do you know. Uh, so we definitely said we didn't want to concede any goals. We kind of set up in that way that we said, right, we don't mind if we concede a point or two, but definitely no goals, shut down that completely. The second thing we focused on was kickouts, and that was based on just, we, they went really... Um, Traditional with the kickouts against Kerry, they went, they launched it on top and they, and they fought, they fought like dogs to win the breaks. And in fairness, they did like the hunger that they showed against Kerry to win all the breaks. They, they won the majority of breaks. So we said we'd have to match that intensity or else they were going to blow us out of the water. Absolutely. And I say that was probably the, the, the key main mentality of it was to not concede goals, try and keep in the game as long. And I say probably on the day, it obviously not only the the fact that it marked uh, a great occasion for Tipperary football, but it was also probably on one of the most, you know, critical weekends probably in the GA's history of obviously the weekend of the bloody Sunday of the of the hundred years. Obviously, when fourteen innocent people were at a match and they lost and they lost their lives. So I said, and obviously Tipperary wearing the the commemorative jerseys in memory of that. So I say that must have been some sort of a huge honour to to play to be a part of as well. Yeah, um, I can't. I can't actually talk about how much it meant to us. I suppose to be able to wear the white and green jerseys and and to be able to play on on the the weekend of a hundred years anniversary. Um, I suppose we kind of we knew it was coming. Obviously, when we when we met Limerick, I remember lads in the in the dressing room after the match against Limerick saying, "Geez, I wonder when we wear the white and green jerseys or what will happen." And we all were kind of saying, "I guarantee it will happen." And we no problem with that. But I said. Sometimes it must the finals, and I know we played in 2016 against Kerry, you can get sidetracked by distractions that take place around, you know, the organising of the event as opposed to the match. So as far as we were concerned, right, the jerseys, we're going to have to get used to the jerseys. So we started wearing the jerseys training for all our internal training matches just to get used to it so that it, was, it wasn't a big thing that we were seeing the jersey for the first time, you know, the day of the match or anything like that. Um, kind of dealt a small bit about bloody Sunday and look said had to part that couldn't be thinking about that all the time like you know that's part of the occasion that's not part of the match but um, from my personal point of view the I watched the bloody uh, what was it called the bloody field I think it was it uh, McFoley did it on the Monday night before the game and then on the Saturday the actual commemoration took place itself in Crow Park and I watched that on on RTE and I was just like good you know you, you were I was an emotional wreck now watching it like you know the, the thought process of it and Look, you know, the realization of what you were representing when you go out there to represent Tipperary, and the last time that Tipperary went out, Crow Park, you know, in nineteen twenty, and fourteen people died. Like that is huge, and it's, it's a huge part of the J's history and of the Irish history and the world independence. Absolutely, and then obviously the match against Cork. I say that was probably one, probably a great occasion to play in, but let alone. Obviously, you were up 14 points to 17, about 20, 30 seconds ago. Cork were, you know, pushing for for that goal. What was going through your mind at that, at that stage? Because it was very, 
close because this it was Cork's last a chance to get to get a, get a goal. They'll get they'll they'll bring it to extra time if Tipperary can clear the lines. It's the first Munster final win since 1935-85 years, and I say you must have been over the moon. Uh, and I and also, yeah. what was your what was your emotion and you everyone's players delight after that final whistle? Because I say that must have been a great achievement. Yeah, um, oh geez, like I. I remember I came off around 10 minutes to go and like I said, I'm not a good, I'm not a good person to watch a match on the sideline. I, oh, I was up and down. I couldn't sit down. I was literally roaring in at the lads. And like you were saying about, you know, what's the difference between the crowd? If a crowd was there, the lads on the, on the pitch wouldn't have heard what I was saying. But I was roaring in at the wing back, the centre back, everyone just do this, do this, this roaring, just tell, instructing everyone. Like, you know, keep, keep the fellas pumped up and saying like how close we are to doing this. Um, when the final whistle went in, oh God, like just the emotion just washed over me. Like I was absolutely high. Cause like, I did think like Roy Dean came through at the end and he was after beating around two tackles and I was like, lads, will just someone just pull him down and take a black and we get everyone behind, on the goal line for all I care. Do you know, they're not scoring a goal and he passed off the ball and shocks intercepted it and ran out on the pitch and I, oh, the relief, like, you know, the realisation that, yeah, don't have to stress that number. We can't lose it. It's one, it's there. Something that we've always dreamed of. Everyone has worked really, really hard to achieve, and we've got very few opportunities to to do it. And we've actually gone and done it. Like you know, it was it was huge, some relief. Like you no, know, I was I was delighted, and I and when I'm happy, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever, normally cry, but I, I had a few tears there on the pitch. There just couldn't control myself. Like I said, I was an emo- I was an emotional wreck. I was, and like you know, you, you'd be laughing, and you'd be crying, and then you'd be meeting lads, and you're there hugging and embracing, and just the relief like everyone wants this so badly like and to actually happen it was just crazy absolutely and that was the first time since 1992 then a county outside Cork and Kerry had won the Munster the last county to do that before Tipperary was Clare when they beat Kerry Kerry in in the final and I remember in an interview David Power had said that he had received phone calls from supporters of Tipperary who were emotional. I mean, there were people in tears that they thought that they'd never get to see the day where a Tipperary senior football team would win a Munster title. The fact that it was 85 years since the last Munster title. How much of that, does, of a boost for Tipperary, does that bring to the Tipperary football? Because obviously many people would see Tipperary as as more or less of a hurling stronghold and and I feel like most of the emphasis would be on would be on the, the football team. So how much of a big boost does that not only just does that do to Tipperary football but tip but Tipperary County as well? It's hard to quantify. Like I mean I, I got a lot of texts and lads that I played with for a long years. Like I, I, I remember telling it up there one day. I'd say I've I played with over two hundred lads over my over my career with Tipperary um, like, and I got a lot of texts off those boys and they're all saying like they cried like they couldn't like they, they it's just they had tried to do that for so long like and people would say Tip is a hurling county and that's fine but there is huge huge pockets of football where fellas have bust their arse for years to try and achieve what we achieved and couldn't you know and look we, we weren't at that standard at that time but like it meant a lot to them because it justified for them the reason for them playing football. Like you know, people would sneer at you sometimes for playing football with Tipperary because, like I said, you would just consider it a Harley County. And I suppose from from my perspective, you'd be hoping that there would definitely be a great feeling of pride that T football is something that you want to aspire to be. 
because it, it's an easy thing to say, Jude, I want to play Hurling for Tipperary. And like, I would have been one of them when I was a kid, but I would have always had aspirations to play Anton for Tipperary. Like, just give me a blue and gold jersey and I'll play Anton, I'll play Tiddlywinds for you, I don't mind, like, you know. And I would hope that any young lad or any young girl wanting to go play for Tipperary would seriously consider playing football. Absolutely, and also when you look at the, the depth and the squad has, how much of it also was it a boost also to have, you know, Colin Ryan back onto the onto the team as well, because obviously he was playing over in Australia in the AFL as well, so I say that must have been a real boost that they had actually gave him the permission to go and play, to go to go away, play with Tipperary, because that's what the one thing about where the G, the G is unique, it's where, it's, where you, it's where everyone knows each other, it's where you went to school with your friends, it's where you, you meet your best friends for life, it's the G runs through your blood, it's the pinnacle of, of Irish sport, despite all the things that you we, everyone can say about Ireland and, and, and the crimes and all of this and everything that, that goes on with the world. The G is probably the one uniqueness about Ireland where everyone, you know, can all come together as one, as a, an entire unity, as a, an entire commodity. Yeah, look, there's a huge sense of community with, with G. There's no point saying otherwise. Like, I, I've, like I, said, I said about fellas texting me from fellas I played with, but there was also fellas who I played against and they were up and down the length of the county and a few from a lot further places. I got texts from Australia and Sligo and America and Dubai and Everton. Like, you know, is that I went to college with that I hadn't maybe talked to in years and it just said, geez, that congrats. Like, that means that, you know, that is something else. You know, it's a huge sense of community um, regards to GA. Um, with regards to Colin, like, Colin had been training with us for a few weeks during the National League um, even though he hadn't got permission he was just just doing a bit of training and kind of wanted to give a, dig out as much as he could and kind of keep his own fitness up and then um, obviously like he, he's just such a professional athlete and he's such got a fantastic attitude that it really meant that it kind of drove on transitions a bit more and then when he got permission after the Limerick game it was a real big boost to everyone I think around him because they knew, they knew what Colin could do do you know, anyway, before he'd ever gone to Australia and then we'd obviously seen since he'd returned what he'd been doing in training and we're like saying, Joe, you know, he's a big addition to us. And it was just up to him and I, and I remember saying like to a few boys, like, obviously I said like, he's great for us, but it's up to every lad who's on the first 15 to be saying, right, I don't want to be the one to give him my spot. Like, you know, that this two weeks is huge. The fellas all drive on and say, right, Colin's not getting my spot. Do you know, he'll have to fight for it. And it did, like, you know, fellas really, really put the shoulder to the wheel. Like, I mean, we had some of the best matches we ever had in training was that two weeks leading up to the Cork game. Absolutely. And obviously after winning the Monster Final against Cork, was this how much, you know, kind of, you know, of a, not, I, wasn't, not, I wouldn't say of, uh, of, a, of a setback, it was kind of a disappointment that obviously there wasn't, you know, uh, you know not coming home to a big, you know, great homecoming, this great celebration, because obviously with COVID and guidelines, social distancing, but then on the other, on the other aspect of it, given the way that the, the, the season has been going. You're, in, you're, you're entering the All-Ireland Championships into an All-Ireland semi-final against Mayo as Munster champions. So I say probably more or less, uh, you know, the focus was on, was on that. Because on the other side of the draw, you had Dublin and, and Cavendale. But it was also probably the unique thing of it. It, was, it is the exact same semi-final period as it was back in 1920 as well. Yeah, like, like I said, I kind of said this a few times, it was such a crazy year, like, you know, like that kind of, we, I remember we actually <clears throat> come back from Cork after the match, we all drove down to Cork, obviously, and we drove back ourselves, and um, so we, 
we couldn't have a meal together or whatever, or dinner and stuff. And the kind of half arranged drive through through Ballyporeen, which is Conor Sweeney's home club, and Ballyporeen is just off the off the, the tip the, the Cork Dublin motorway, you know, so it's one out of the way too much. So um, we drove through there and we were listening to the radio and Dudley are winning and we all turned off the radios to, you know, as we're coming through the village, just because you were had your head out the window to thank people for coming out. And next thing when we switched back on the radios, Cavan had won. And like you were just thinking, this is mad. And if anything, it was giving you a boost because you're saying, well, a hundred years ago, we bet, we bet Mayo <laughs> and we were in the Northern Finals. So, you know, maybe, maybe this will continue, like, you know. Um, yeah, it was just, it's just mad. I suppose that kind of thing about that, that history part of it was crazy. But like trying to readjust and obviously not being able to celebrate with your family and, and friends and stuff like that on the pitch or afterwards was tough. Like I mean, it's it's definitely a big part of any victory in a GA that you get to celebrate with your friends and your community. And that was really really tough because we would have a real loyal bunch of supporters that would always come watch our matches, no matter if it's the first round in the national league or a challenge match. To a month's final, they're there, like they're to be a the kind of friends to football. There's an always a bus, a 50 seater bus that always goes to every match. And I remember they were all up in Derry the day we were up in Derry, and there's not many people who go to Derry from Tipperary for, for football. Absolutely, you mentioned there, and obviously the Kevin win that this was you know unique and it was madness, but that's the one thing about GA, that's the one thing about how beautiful the sport they or they call it the, the beautiful game from Camogie to ladies football to holding to, to men's football as well. That it's it, sport, it's magical, it's amazing, but by God, it can be so so cool. And obviously, that, that the one thing in it that you don't know what, what, what way the result could go because. The way I've seen it as well, not only from a playing perspective uh, from, from my club here in Cork, in East Cork, but also from managing it as well, as well. It doesn't matter how much you're ahead or how much you're behind that at any stage of the match. As long as you're in front at that final whistle, that's all that matters. Like you could play the, probably the best game of your life and you could come off or off off it on the, back, on the wrong end. And on another instance, you could play a very mixed game a game of two different halves and you can come out at the right end like it's it's like the GA is so unique that it throws up so unique result, results as well that's the one thing that makes it so funnest and that runs through everyone's veins the bloods of the GA runs through everyone's veins I think everyone looks up to players like looks up to some great inter-county players where they, where they can believe and as long as they put their mind to anything that they can achieve anything you want to and that's why we call it the beautiful game Oh yeah, like oh look when when like and I love watching matches like I said on TV or going to club matches and stuff like that and even junior B matches like you, you anything can happen in any game and I junior B matches in particular like but I can remember and you were saying it about as long as you're headed to fine whistle I remember some of my best games you know when we played as a team we didn't win you know we were playing a, a, probably an outstanding team and we played it above ourselves and still didn't get the result and oftentimes then you wouldn't play your best match and you might sneak over the line or like. How did we get away with that? Like, you know, and it's that not knowing, it's that, you know, it's that craziness that happens, can happen in a game, you know, makes makes it what it is. Like, you know, it's why people, so many people enjoy it. It's why it's getting a global audience now, you know, in a lot of, a lot of respects. Um, people just, they're just like, you know, the physicality, the skill levels, um, the unpredictability of it. Like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, lot unla- it's a lot less, unlike, you know, the soccer, which can be very, very predictable, very boring monotonous or even the rugby at times you know as you know there's just 
very slow moving at times, very, you know, it's the same seven or eight teams all the time that are always there and that's it really, you know. Um, so just, oh, the Jays, it's just, it's, it's magic. That's, that is the word for it. Absolutely, it's magic there. And you mentioned the key points there with the rugby and soccer that has boring. That's like the score doesn't really seem to, to change. And I've heard pundits from rugby and soccer that this is the beautiful game. Like if teams cause a big upset, like for example, say if your United was to cause an upset against Liverpool, like they pulled out a scrapey 1-0 one, one win. Like if they score a goal and there's fans in there, you're celebrating for about a few seconds. While in the GAA, the score is going over the pass for points. The score is going in like you're up out of your seats every couple of minutes every 20, 30 seconds. You don't know which way the game could go. One team could be up by nine points. Next minute, it could be a draw game. Next minute, it could be going to extra time. Uh, a last minute, a last minute goal. And I say that's the one thing about the G makes it so unique. And obviously, I've been part of teams in coaching, in coaching down here in Cork, where I have led teams to county titles, successes. Uh, I've been on, I've lost county finals. I've won county finals of both underage and adult, and adult as well. And I think the one thing is that it's so unique. You, you never know. And then obviously that feeling at the final whistle is so you, you, unique. And I think, and I remember Going back years ago, I can't remember who said, but normally everyone used to used to say, I can't remember who it was, but someone said before that GA was the pinnacle of kind of inter county players. That's where everyone looks looks up, looks up to. But that is not. It's it's more honestly, it's it's built from club level. That that's where you, the players are able to develop their their skills through coaching, and without that, you can't have that solid foundation able to pro, to progress onwards. So I say club level, obviously not only in Tipperary but in the, the the entire county of Ireland, is very important because it's what keeps the GAA going. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I mean, look, I know like this this the much final victory as was probably up there is one of my my favorite memories of all time with GAA, but. Like one of my favorite memories also is winning a West title, you know, a divisional title with my club here, Rogue, in Hurland. It was our first one in 25 years, and my father was playing the last time we'd won one. Like you know, and like when you when you win something with your close group of friends, the lads that you grew up with, like you know, playing under 12, under 14, you might have won a couple of things, you know, or a couple of matches around. You might have won nothing. Like we we were a very we are a very small club in in Rogue, and so we played C competition for all the way up. You know, under twelve, under fourteen, and like we've we started getting up to the chip levels and we started getting to B and A. And I'd say I only played one year of A competition. When I was under twenty one, was my my last year twenty one. We got to got to the A and we got bet and bottom. But like that was a bigger deal for us as you know winning a, a B competition because we're such a small club at the moment. Like for instance, we're struggling to feel a team on our own. You know, we're looking at amalgamations and stuff like that. So for for our club to be competing in A against against teams that would be in county side, county finals, that was huge for us. Like, and we weren't we weren't ashamed by any any manner means by those teams at that time. Like, you know, but it that's what you're saying. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's it's what develops you through. And like, club fellas, club players will be there. Like, I'll go back to my club when I retire, and I hope to play for many many years with my club after I, I retire as well. Like, you know, because you want to pass on a lot of stuff to your club because you owe them so much for getting to that point where you are now, where you're playing inter-county and like you said, being at the pinnacle of the top level sports. Absolutely. And what would you say would be probably the best advice you ever got as a player? Uh, 
Not would you say that you've ever gotten probably from a manager, but also from a player, maybe as a prep up, what's the best advice that they've ever given you? Just, I, don't, I don't know if there ever any one of his advice. Um, I always laugh because like my father coached me, say all the way up along. Like, my father's coach, I say everyone in the club. And um, he always used to say to us before a match, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And that's only because we're such a small team physically. But it, it's definitely something, you know, that you would, I would kind of keep in my head that, you know, the challenge is, is greater, you know, that, well, when they fall, the, the success is huge. Do you know, like, if, if you beat a big team, it, everyone stands up and takes note of a bit more, like, so from that point of view, I would look at that. But there's so many coaches that I, I would be very thankful for, for giving me so much advice from different things, like, you know, from, you know, a personal development perspective as well as maybe a mentality perspective. Do you know, um, Oh, like too many to mention. Like my father probably would have had the biggest impact on my career in terms of just he coached me all the way up to senior. Like you know, it's, he, <laughs> under under 10, twelve, under fourteen, or sixteen, minor, under twenty one, and senior. And in fairness, the, the age group I was with, we we had some success. Like you know, we got to county finals and we were competing in A. And like I said, we won that West title back in two thousand and thirteen for the first time in twenty five years. And he was there all the way. And like he's just. He gave me so many pearls of wisdom, I suppose I couldn't say, say one, but that was definitely something that would stick with me when we were younger. I was the bigger they are, the harder they fall, just about attitude to everything like that. You know, always, always look for that challenge, like, you know, I can't wait to try and knock someone down or try and beat someone so that you're on top of them again. Absolutely. And now moving on to the All Ireland semi final against me. Obviously, I say it didn't go right away. It didn't go, the result didn't go the way you wanted. Obviously, 313 to 520. Any, on any other day, 313 would be capable of winning match. What would you say didn't go right from the Tipperary point of view? But then when you look at this, you had other you had numerous of goal chances that if they went in, it could have been a totally different result. Yeah. Um, like I suppose we had two go- early goal chances we didn't take them and like I suppose you know me or Division 1 team and I obviously got relegated to Division 2 but they're still really a Division 1 team they're there thereabouts all the time to beat them to have any chance of beating them we needed to take all our chances and we knew that you know and like the confidence you get from winning the Munster and and from winning matches in general like we were after winning five matches on the bounce you know it does give you momentum and momentum is a it's probably one of the strongest things in sport because when, when you have momentum, you really believe you can take on anyone, you know? So we were going into that game really confident and like I said, we played with no pressure on us. Like, I mean, the pressure is all on Mayo from, from the point of view is that if they lose and like I said about the bigger they are, they fall, if they lost, that would be a calamity to them. Like, if we lost to, to the outside world, it wouldn't, be the, it wouldn't be that big a deal. So, like, we started really well but unfortunately just didn't take scores and Mayo were a small bit, I thought for the first five minutes, were a small bit anxious and stuff. They made a few uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic errors. And if we'd punished them for that, I think the game would have been a lot different. I, I mean, I know we lost by 13 points, but I wouldn't have said they were 13 points better than us on the day. Uh, the goals like that they scored, oh, it's, geez, I, I, looked, I watched them back now. They were... Ooh, they're, they're hard to watch I'll be honest you know like basic things getting t- things wrong like you know losing ball in contact um, not stopping a man running stuff like that just really really basic stuff that you, you'd you kill yourself in training if a fella did that in training you'd be, you'd be on his back like you know but in the, ch- the heat of championship like you know fellas make mistakes and 
Mayo punished us every time for it, unfortunately, in the first half. And that was the reality of it. Like, after that, we were just playing for pride. Um, came out in the second half, played very well in the second half. Probably actually, again, should have scored more goals, should have been closer than the 13 points. But, you know, you have to take your opportunities when, you, when they come. Would you say that? Would you say that would it probably come? Would that it probably came down to, you know, experience? Because when you, um, for me, when you look at it, Mayo, they have they they played in numerous All Ireland uh, semi finals. Then, from the Tipperary perspective, you have players coming up from the under twenty from the under twenties that are also would probably be in their first year of playing, playing with the Tipperary senior footballers. Obviously, that jump up from under twenty to senior footballers and playing in an All Ireland semi final would that kind of you know. Uh, that would have been some sort of difference, maybe you know the difference between you know the experience between probably the younger, the younger and older players on both sides. I don't think so. I mean, Mayo have a lot of young lads playing, like McLaughlin. Oh, McLaughlin's quite young. Your man uh, Conroy's very young. Ryan O'Donoghue's very young. Like they have a lot of young lads that have come through who wouldn't have had any experience playing in All Ireland's. Uh, we've had lads who played in minor All Ireland's or twenty-one All Ireland's. You know, I don't know what the experience coming into it. Like the fact that they're playing at a higher level on a regular basis definitely comes into it, um, because you know they're they everything they have to do has to be done at a, a faster pace under more pressure. You know, I, I think they only kicked three wides, and that kind of showed you that we weren't getting enough pressure on them enough to make them make those mistakes that they would under, you know, more pressure. Um, whereas we did make those mistakes, like Bear. I think Bear Quinn was like, like Sweeney was under pressure taking his shot in the first half. Stephen O'Brien was, Liam Bowden was, Philly Austin was. Like, you know, they, these are the goal chances we missed. Bear Mikey's chance, um, there was no, you know, I suppose, same type of pressure on him. So you'd be saying, that's the difference. With you you have, to, you have to execute under pressure, like, and we didn't, unfortunately. And I do believe, like, you, you scored the first two goals, and, I, and look, a lot of lads have said to me, and I do believe myself, if we score the first two goals, it's a different game. You know, our heads are up, their heads are down. They're wondering, geez, do we play a sweeper now to stop the ball going into Sweeney and Mikey? Because, you know, we had kicked in three or four balls. We'd won every single one of them. We'd scored, well, I wouldn't say we scored two goals. We, we, we got two goal chances off it. And if we can, if you finish them off, they're saying, right, we are really open at the back here. They withdraw, they withdraw one of their forwards, play as a sweeper, and all of a sudden, we have an easier time bringing the ball off the back and instead they were pushed up and they did this full court press and we struggled with it in fairness to them. You know, like, but two of the goals like, should never have happened. Like, you know, the one second half, your full back slips. The one in the first half, um, Casey kicked it to Evan and it just wasn't a good kick pass and Keenan Connor just fisted into the net. Like, he'll, he'll never score an easier goal in his life. Absolutely. And is, was it different, obviously, out there and obviously the hollow tough, but not obviously with just a big overcome, but obviously playing winter fo- football, was that kind of, you know, a, a bit of a difference getting used to playing, you know, winter football, obviously where the GECs were normally playing around September, August, October? Um, it, it didn't have as much impact as I thought it would. I think the standard was really, like the pace of the games were pretty fast. I think it was because of the weather conditions that we've been very, very lucky, like in all our matches, the conditions have been really, really good. The pitches have been really, really dry. And it, it's allowed itself to be played at a, a good pace. Then as a result, a kind of a championship pace. Whereas National League games are normally played in the muck in February and March. And oftentimes, games are slower. Teams are still always trying to find their feet in terms of, you know, they've come back for pre-season. Their football, their, the amount of football they've done is not at the same. Whereas 
because everyone had done played club football, everyone's football was up to a standard. They weren't doing another pre-season with their county. You know, they were back into football as well. So I think the standard of football was pretty, pretty high throughout. Like, and even if you notice, a lot of the games this year, even though they played in winter, were very high-scoring affairs. You know, like we kicked 17 points in the Munster final. You know, that was good kicking. Any day of the week, you'd say that. If it was championship even, you know, in the middle of summer, you'd say that was good kicking. Um, the only game I could think of that didn't have that kind of high scoring was Cork and Kerry, and that was because it was played in the storm. Absolutely, and obviously, you know, obviously now with the season over for Tipperary, is there anything that you can obviously take take from this season that you can actually bring forward to the new season, which is only a matter of week, which is only a matter of weeks away? Yeah, well, look, I suppose coming into twenty twenty one, it's hard to know what's going to happen. I suppose we don't know if club or county is going to be first. Um, right, like if if comes first, I I I read an article the other day about how they'd structure the league and the league would be shorter, and then the championship would look more like um, what was prescribed for this year originally, the Talchin Cup and so on. Um, it'd be very very interesting. At, like you'd be looking at saying, right, this this year with the progress we made and the results we had, that you'd like to be driving on and saying, right, probably get a, a realistic target and getting back to a Munster final. But it's hard to know because no one knows when it's going to be played. I mean, if it gets played next summer, kind of going into winter again, that's eight, nine months away. You could have fellas gone abroad again. Fellas picking up knocks. Yeah, a lot of things could happen in that regard. Absolutely. <coughs> Absolutely. There's so many factors there coming into it and we don't know how next season will go and we don't know what, what the story will be in COVID. Obviously, obviously in COVID. And obviously before we look at towards the final between Dublin and Mayo and we look at your playing career apart, uh, obviously, apart from winning the monster, winning the monster final against Cork, is there any other match there? Obviously, uh, in from from an intercounty perspective and also a club perspective, that you can say that those two games were that you were privileged, to, you know, to play in. Um, geez. I suppose, like, a, thank God, I like to say. I've been involved in a, good, a few good days to play football. I mean, beating Galway in the other and Cork final in 2016 was a great day. Beating Cork for the first time in 82 years, I think back in 2016, was a brilliant day. Um, with my club, it's actually amazing. Like I was saying about around about 2013 when our West Senior final and like the pride that it gave and the boost it gave to the local parish, like you know, because like I said we hadn't won one in 20, which was 25, 26 years. And like to win it in the way we did it, and you know, to perform personally, I was, I was very happy with my contribution to it, obviously. Uh, but it was another game, just a law stay with me. Um, and it was one of probably definitely one of my proudest moments as well. Was playing an under 21 West final against our, our, our greatest rivals, Kappa White, at the time. And even though it was under 21, I think of our starting team, 10 of our team was minor, and uh, we bet them by a point. And this Kappa White team, I suppose, a lot of them were up to the age and like lads were a lot bigger physically than us. And it took my, to my and like this still gets talked about at home in 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 the in the local pubs 
about the, this game, like how intense it was. Like this was absolutely helter skelter for the whole sixty minutes. There wasn't a backward step. I'd say if I rose two balls and struck them, I did well because everyone was pulling and dragging, and it was fighting for absolutely every inch. And the brother, um, he's a year younger than me, Kev, came on, and I think he scored two points. More or less, he more or less won this game, and like I was minor, and he was a year younger, so he was only seventeen. Like you know, playing play under twenty-one, and oh, it was an unbelievable feeling, you know, to be involved in that game. <clears throat> you know, these are the memories you you love to look back on and say, "Geez, I was so glad to be involved in those games." Absolutely, and what kind of sort of advice will you give to any aspiring future footballer that hope in the hopes of one day that will get the the opportunity to put on the blue and gold for for Tipperary because not everybody can make you know an inter-county footballing team and obviously that can you know can be very dampening on players because obviously everyone wants to have that you know dream of playing not only representing the family representing their club but also get the opportunity to represent their, their county and I've read stories you know before not not only at football but from Colin to, to Camogie to ladies football where where players who who had been on trials at younger age groups but were never able, you know, to progress any further and were on the verge of giving up. And then at the next instance, now they're they're playing with the they're playing with the the senior team. But I say in a way that is kind of a statement saying is not to not to give up on your dreams. Yeah, well, I I just have I was saying time on if you wanted to try and think about trying to make I was saying you have to believe in yourself number one. All right, there's no point saying otherwise. If you don't believe that you're good enough, then you're not going to make it. Number two, if you get a chance or if you get half a chance of making it, you got to say, "Am I doing enough to make sure that I am there?" Because I remember my first time on an intercounty squad, I was surrounded by fellas that I thought were better than me, and I was like saying, "Well, I don't want them to be better than me. So what am I going to do to make myself better than them?" I just it was one of my standout things in my own mind was I was on a county minor football squad. Go playing, trying to trying to fight for a cornerback spot. Now, thank God I got out of cornerback. But at the time, like I would have played anywhere. Like if they told me to play in goals, I would have played in goals. You know. But I was trying to do my my damnedest to try and impress the management to, and to try to make myself look better than everyone else. You know. And that's the word of advice I give you. What are you doing to make yourself better than the people you're you're competing against? You know. How are you gaining that edge? Um, that's necessary. <laughs> Absolutely, and say that's that's probably the key. And since now we'll look towards the final. Now, obviously, Dublin against me, we are looking to bridge so many years of of that heart and the agony and despair of losing so many finals. But then, obviously, we have you know this Dublin team, obviously under the before Jesse Farrell took over, they were under the, the management of Jim Gavin. They hadn't, they haven't lost a championship game since the twenty fourteen All Ireland semi-final defeat to yeah. Donny to Donny Gall but then on the instance is this a, a Dublin team that heard the pinnacle of their power because if you go back before Kerry were the kingpins of Gaelic football they dominated Munster they dominated the All-Ireland but then somehow when Dublin won their first All-Ireland in, in 2011 since the first time since 1995 they became this team that, that, that if somebody said at the time that this team would go on to dominate Gaelic football for the next probably decade or the next number of years you think it's crazy but then does that also kind of put a doubt into where the future of Gaelic football is going given the resources and the finance that has been also been pumped into Dublin football as well 
yeah, like, I know there's a big debate about it on the Sunday game and so on. Um, like, the funding thing is a big deal because whether people want to admit it or not, be it they from Dublin or outside of Dublin, funding has a huge influence on how you can train, you know, and what access you have to the best facilities, to the best coaches, to the best physios, you know, and how you can prepare for. Now, does it mean you get the best players? No. Uh, but, like, if you're, if you're getting all the right nutritional meals and you don't have to put in any effort into it, that's one box ticked without any real effort that's going to it. I mean, people probably don't realise that inter- most intercounty players now are nearly top quality chefs as well. Like they, a lot of them are cooking for themselves and are trying to eat all the right food. So they spend a lot of time prepping. Like So even away from training, their mind is constantly engaged in what am I doing to make myself better? And if you're constantly thinking of that, you see how certain fellas are retiring earlier and earlier because they're saying, oh, well, I can't give this commitment or I don't want to give this commitment. Well, if, if I was a Dublin footballer, would I be thinking that? No, because you have this success. You've got all these facilities. You've got all these different things that are helping you along the way, making things easier for you so you don't have to spend as much time thinking about playing and making sure that you're 100% right. Now, do they train really hard? Of course they do. Do they have a number of talent? Yeah, of course. So, you know, the funding is not the only issue, but it definitely is an issue. Um, like, their, popula- their playing population is huge. You know, as someone keeps pointing out, their second and third team could compete with most counties and would probably beat most counties, you know, such as the pick that they have. And the, the level of uh, club football that's there and the players are coming from other counties you know, because of the fact that they're living there. Like, we have five or six lads living in Dublin at the moment, you know, and travel back to Tipperary for matches. Um, and, like, they could easily play in club football in Dublin. And would they make the intercounty team up in Dublin? Probably not. Like, you know, that's the truth. Like, you know, that's, that's the level you have to you, you try and beat to get the, on the intercounty team. Absolutely. And where do you think, obviously, in, in the final where the game could be won and lost? Because there's many great battles out in the end. Probably the key battle would be in between the probably the forward lines between Dean Rock and Killian O'Connor, obviously both very accurate from free so I say that could be a very key area of interest to, to watch out for uh, as well on, on Sunday between those two, between Killian O'Connor and and Dean Rock. But then, then also you have Stephen Cluxton in goals and he really Concede, concede scores like in all our friends you'd want to have a good hard strong shot to beat Cluxton at any, from any angle yeah well with Dean and Killian like look you can't give away a freeze inside the 45 because they're going to punish you I think the biggest challenge would be how the kickouts will go because if Dublin force Mayo to go along I think they will they will they will beat Mayo in the air. I think that's probably Mayo's greatest weakness is their midfield in terms of contesting high balls. Um Cluxton obviously does make many mistakes on kickouts. If Mayo can force Cluxton into errors on kickouts, well then I think Mayo have a chance. But they really, really need to force them into errors because if they don't have more possession in Dublin, you know, from kickouts and stuff like that, then they're gonna struggle. If it's fifty fifty in terms of possession, Dublin stats are through the roof when it comes to their use of possession and how they finish off. Like they, I think they get a shot off 98% of the time and out of the 98% of the time they get a shot off around 80% of the time is a score. Do you know, 
Like, whereas everyone, every other county's statistics are way down on that. You know, if every time at Tipperary had possession, we might only get a shot off 50% of the time. So if you have 30 possessions, you get 15 shots, and you might only convert 10 of them. You know, Dublin, it's get 20 possessions, we get a shot off on 18 of them, and we convert 16 of them. You know, that's the difference. So if Mayo can force Dublin into some sort of mistakes on their kickouts and have primary possession, well, then they have a great chance. And obviously, another side of it, get ball off quickly before Dublin can put pressure on them. Because I do think if Dublin get a run on them from, from kickouts, because I think that's where they'll target, then Mayo are going to be in trouble. Absolutely, Brian. And on a final note, who are you tipping to win? Dublin to, to win six in a row? Or Mayo to win the first Isle Island in so many years? In, since 1956, I think, was the last time they won it. Yes. Uh, I look... I think I speak for the whole country when I say everyone would love Mayo to win it. And even though they bet us, I'd still love them to win it, you know, because of the way they play football and just their genuine heart and effort that they always give, like, you know, their their fierce proud county. Um, I am tipping Dublin. I just, I can't see them being stopped. I just think they have too much. They just seem to make no mistakes. Their work rate is through the roof. They seem to have a game plan that works brilliantly for him like you know and like I said and all those things like even their defending is, is is so intense and they defend from the full forward line like against Cavan watching watching a bit of the game the intensity with which they were tackling Cavan into 65th minutes you know Cavan were trying to come out of defence the game was over and Dublin were still still making it so so hard for him to come out like you know and it was never ending and he made Cavan had put his head down for a second he was being swallowed up by two Dublin players you know and that's Unfortunately for us, that's something we all have to try and get to, a level we all have to get to. Absolutely. And I think, Brian, on that note, that a final whistle has sounded and that brings an end on this episode of the Final Whistle podcast. I would like to thank anyone who would be listening into this podcast. And if you would like to get involved with the show or know anyone who would like to feature on a guest, you can visit the, the, the Final Whistle podcast on, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts and many resources as well. Or you can email Jonathan E. O'Connell at gmail.com. But that's it for now. Until next week, slong of all and stay safe.